Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thank you, Jeremy. I love you, man. (laughs) Everyone's all awake because we got that extra hour of sleep last night, right? Here's a test of how you know if you're getting older or not. When you're younger, you use that extra hour to stay up as late as possible because you're like, hey, I'm going to get it on the back end. When you're 42, you go to bed at 9, you're like, I'm going to bed at 8 o'clock. This is amazing. (laughs) Woke up at 5.30 like, what happened? This is weird. But here we are. It's good to see you guys. Thanks for spending part of your morning here at Arbor. My name is Garrett. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're in week two of a series we're calling Baggage. And it probably doesn't take much imagination to figure out what we're doing with this, what that title means. But for me, when I think of baggage, it's very literal. The, the image that comes to mind is very literal. And if you're a parent or um, well, if you're a parent and if you either have or have had young kids and traveled with them, you're going to know exactly what I mean. And, and I'm getting a little bit of anxiety as I say this, like a little bit of PTSD. I'm looking at the winters. Like, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. And, and, and you hear that traveling with a baby is bad, which it is. But, <laughs> but then they get like four, five, six years old, and they, they, they're old enough to have their own little ideas of how they want to travel, right? They start saying, hey, Dad, I want my own bag. I want my own little backpack, right? They want to be somebody, right? They want to be an adult. And so, okay, okay, I see humor. So you get the little Hello Kitty backpack with wheels on it. And, and really what ends up happening is you've got six stuffed animals, a bottle of water, and a bunch of crackers that are going to explode and get everywhere anyways, and a coloring book in it, right? And you pack up the car, and you get everything ready, and, and you slam the trunk like barely gets in there and you're already sweating you're not even to the airport yet you get to the airport and here this is my story okay I get to the airport I'm too freaking cheap to pay the one dollar to get the rental cart to move my luggage so I use my kids stroller as that cart and I pile it up it looks like that uh, car from the Ikea commercials you know what I'm talking about little VW bug that's stacked up with stuff and I'm pushing this through the halls of the through the halls of the airport and get to the TSA line. And, and how many know that TSA is the most anxiety-producing place in the world? When you have children, especially, you know everyone else is looking at you. You can feel their eyes burning into the back of your head. They're all whispering like any line but the line behind that family, right? <laughs> the kids are crying. They're hanging on your legs, sitting on your toes. You're, I mean, it's just, I, I've literally, I, I honestly pack a second pair of clothes that I change into when I get on the airplane because I know I'm going to have sweated through them. This is a really long intro, Garrett. I know. (laughs) But when I think of baggage, that's what I think of. Because when I fly alone, I'm a lean, mean flying machine. I'm fast. I'm efficient. I wear slip-on shoes. I wear no belt. I got one carry-on item. There's no way I'm checking luggage in, right? I zip right through it. I get to my gate and I have time to sit down and have a cup of coffee and wait for the flight to board. But when I travel with my family, I'm stressed out, I'm tired, I got loads and loads of stuff that weigh me down, slow me down. And honestly, for me, when I think about baggage, I think about that because I think it's a perfect visual of why we're doing this series. The the foundation of this series comes out of Hebrews chapter 12. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let us throw off, okay? Let us get rid of, lay aside, throw off off and drop everything that hinders us, that weighs us down, that holds us back. And the sin that so easily entangles us, it's an interesting word, trips us up, winds us up, entangles us. Let us throw it off and run with endurance, okay? So we are meant to run. 
with endurance. And it's really hard to run when you're weighed down and tangled up and tripped up. Last week, Jake did this great visual. He used Lauren Winter. If you don't know Lauren, big, strong guy. And he had him come up here and he had him hold suitcases. He put backpacks on his back, had him walk around the auditorium, picking up more and more as he went around. Ultimately, he had his hands full, he had his back full. Then he had to hold his arms out and he piled the suitcases up in front of him over his face, above his head. And they weren't just empty suitcases. Jake had put a bunch of weights in them and they got heavy. He's a big, strong dude, but they got heavy. And not only that, but they were awkward, all stacked up. And he did a pretty good job. But eventually, he lost it, and they fell, right? And there's this great visual that even the strongest of us can only take so much. But once we get weighed down, slowed down, it's just a matter of time before we lose it and drop it all. But Jesus came to set us free. He came to take that baggage off of us so that we might experience, so that we might walk in the freedom and fully experience the life that God had intended intended for us. And Jake kicked this off last week talking about secrets and how secrets weigh us down. Next week, we're going to talk about resentment. It's a super lighthearted stuff we're talking about here. (laughs) But it hits home, you know? And today, I drew the short straw And I get to talk about, I actually didn't draw the short straw. It was given to me because Jake's like, what's the one thing I don't want to talk about? And it was money. So, hey, come on, everyone. I get to talk to you about money. I feel your excitement. I feel you're here. If you get up, I'm going to call you out. You're stuck. 30 minutes. We're going to talk. Come on. you Light, come on. Lighten up. (laughs) It is what it is, all right? We're going to talk about debt this morning. Why are we going to talk about debt? Because it's obvious. Money and specifically debt, is something that we all think about pretty much all the time. We've heard the adage, money makes the world go round, right? Here on earth, money is the thing that we use to exchange for our livelihood, for our food, for our shelter, for our clothes. Like, it's the, it's the bottom rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That In our economy, in our system, we need money to do this stuff. And it ends up being one of the things we think most about. And I think God knew this because he has a lot to say. Scripture has a lot to say about the topic of money and specifically about debt. And so the question is, and and you probably already know this, but the Bible suggests that debt is a bad thing, that it's not good for us. So the question is, why is debt bad? And why does God allow so much airtime? Why does he give so much space in Scripture to this concept? And I'm going to give you three reasons. I don't think it's an exhaustive list by any means, okay? There's a lot of reasons why debt is not good for us. But today, my hope is to focus on the heart of the issue, the heart of why God talks to us about this and instructs us about it. And so we're just going to jump right in. And actually, before I jump right in, I'm going to say this. I wrote a really great message for you guys this morning. (laughs) Was really proud of it. Felt like I did my homework. And uh, I was telling Jake and a couple of the staff members this morning, and I got up early this morning to just kind of walk through and rehearse it. And as I, as I, I did that, and then I went and got in the shower, and as, as I was in the shower, just to be, be totally candid with you, I felt like the majority of the time, the research I had done, was to talk about why debt is bad. I think we all understand that it's bad. What we need is a little bit of hope, right? Like, 
what does God have for us and how do we get out of it? And so though I feel like my term paper would get a good grade, I'm gonna shorten up and reallocate the weight I put on this. So bear with me as I, as I do that real time a little bit. I'm still gonna walk through the three big picture reasons why God uh, warns about debt. And then I'm gonna wrap up by sharing a personal story in hopes that I give you um, a lot of hope. And a, and a lot of uh, expectation looking forward. Okay, so there's my disclaimer. Now we're gonna jump in. So according to the Bible, why is stress a bad thing for us? Number one, it stresses us out. This is obvious, right? It stresses us out. Here's the interesting thing. If we look at the book of Philippians, chapter four, verse six, I think we have it up on the screens. It says this, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be stressed out. Don't be worried about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And we preach on this, right? As individuals, we pray for this like all the time. Oh God, I'm stressed out, please Lord, take this worry, take this anxiety, take this burden from me. But it's hard to be anxious about nothing when you're in debt, when you owe people money. And we pray, Lord, I'm anxious, I'm stressed out. Can you get me out of this jam? Just please, I need a little bit of help. Get me out of this jam. And here's the thing, Arbor Church, he's right there with you. He hears you. He's loving you through this situation in your life, but he's still giving you choice. He's still giving you free will. Garrett, what do you mean? What are you getting at? Here's what I'm getting at. Oftentimes, our beliefs and our behaviors don't line up. A lot of times we're praying for one thing out of this side of our mouth and out of this side of our mouth or our actions or our behavior, we're making conscious decisions to put us back into situations that are causing us stress and worry and anxiety. And then we're over here praying that God will get us out of it. And then over here, we're consciously making the decisions to put ourselves back into it. And so God's there with us, loving us through it. But there's a breakdown between what we believe and how we behave sometimes. Here's the deal. Since I was 16 years old, I wanted a Toyota Tundra. So bad. Actually, when I was 16, it was a Tacoma because I don't think Tundras are out yet. Now I'm a big boy. I want a bigger truck, okay? It's the way it is. I want a Toyota Tundra. Now I want it bad. When I was 16, my parents told me it wasn't practical. Got bad gas mileage, hard to park, even harder to parallel park. Garrett, you don't need a truck. You need a little sedan, okay? So I got a little grocery cart that I drove to school and back. Then I grow up. I graduate from college. I go into business. Truck's not practical, so I got a sedan so I could drive clients around, right? It's a little more respectable. But a few years later, I was single, had nothing else to pay for really except myself and my food, saved up enough money, and I bought myself a truck. If you're into these types of things, I bought a 1979 Toyota Land Cruiser FJ40. Blue, white top, ambulance doors in the back. Dude, I love that truck, love that truck. It was, so, it was, a, it was a, truly a realization of a dream come true like 10 years later, right? I was in my mid-20s. Well, then here's the thing. I have this truck for a couple years, then I meet this girl, and I fall in love with this girl. And I love this truck, and I love this girl, but I love this girl more than I love this truck, but I spent all my money on the truck, so I don't have a money to put a ring on this finger. <laughs> so I sell the truck to pay for a ring. Huh? Come on, that's a, that's a love story. Yeah, come on, come on. Thank you, I mean, thank you. So nice I didn't even have to prod for that. Now I'm 42 and I still don't have a freaking truck. 
I got a wife. She's pretty good looking. She's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She makes me look good. Truck would make me look good too, but she makes me look good. I'm not kidding you, man. There are days, many days, that I take the long way home. I go past Toyota Kirkland. I kind of peer out my window. Some days I get really sucked in. I pull into the parking lot and I stop and I stare. Some days I get out and I look through the windshield. Some days I step back and I look at the sticker. I'm like, holy crap, that's a lot of money for a truck. And then I get into this thing where I'm like starting to do numbers in my head, right? Like, how could I, how could I, I could, I could carve a couple things up and pay, I could make a $400 a month car payment work, right? And then more thoughts start running through my mind like, would, would Tawny still be married to me if I showed up with this without talking to her? And uh, I already owe some money on some other stuff. Would it be smart to pay that off or add more stuff to it? Okay. And the, it's silly, right? Like sitting back, it's silly. It's obviously silly. And it's easy to think it's silly when you're sitting there hearing someone else talk about it because you can be objective about the whole situation. But when it's you in your own life and you start mixing up your own wants and your own desires and your own brokenness, your own history, story, all this stuff, it suddenly begins to get a little more complicated on whether this is silly or not silly. I start telling myself, dude, you work hard, Garrett. You're a grown man. You are a grown man. You deserve it. You deserve it. She gets the new SUV for the kids all the time. You're driving that broke little Jetta with door dings all over it. You deserve this truck. Right? Doesn't sound like the voice of the father, by the way. I get all confused. But here's the thing. It's not just about a truck for Garrett, right? It's about those shoes. It's about that handbag. It's about that family trip that you're prioritizing because you want to make memories with your kids, right? And that's a very honorable, valiant priority. This is, I'm telling a lot of stories this morning. This is no joke. My family went on a family, not just Garrett's family, my whole family, parents, sis, siblings, all them, went on a vacation. They invited us, and Tawny and I declined because we didn't feel it was in, the, in our budget at the time. And this is no joke. One of my family members called me and said, Garrett, are you really not going to go? I was like, dude, I can't. I can't swing it right now. It's not in the cards. And he asked me this question. He said, can you put a price on memories? How much are memories worth? Your girls, man, they're only going to be living with you for so long, then they're going to grow up and they're going to move off. And Isn't it worth going into a little bit of debt to create those memories with the girls? I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Don't you dare put me in that spot, right? Between my kids and money and debt. But all, it's true, man. I literally had to like, oh, man, maybe I suck as a dad. I, this is, money stresses us out. Debt stresses us out. Hebrews says, throw it off, throw it aside, get rid of it. You're supposed to run. Jesus came so that we would be free and that we could run, that we could breathe, that we could experience the life that God had originally created us for. But this stuff layers up on top of us and we make decisions that put ourselves back into stress. Money stresses us out. Larry Burkett, if you know who he is, um, uh, he passed a few years ago, but a Christian financial advisor, and he talked about how nowadays people, when they get married, spend their first five to seven years trying to get to the standard of living that it took their parents 35 years to get to. I can relate to this, man. Like, I want right now what it took my parents three decades 
to accomplish because I got nothing else hard in my life, right? I didn't go through war. I didn't go through famine. I didn't go through depression. I just grew up with a spoon in my mouth, and I, so I want it now. We've, we've, we've heard the staggering stats of divorce, but here's one of the most interesting things. The majority of divorces, the reason stated is financial trouble, financial conflict. Of people, the statistics show that of people that get divorced in, the first, in their first seven years of marriage, 90% of them say it's because of money or money problems. It stresses us out. Okay, number two. Number two reason why I think scripture warns us against debt is because debt holds us back from opportunities. It holds us back from the stuff God wants us to see and to, to, to be able to accomplish. Have you ever wished in your mind that you could be more generous? Man, I wish I could give more to the church. I wish I could give more to Young Life. There's a family in need. My neighbor needs help. I wish I was in a place financially where I could be the answer to their prayer. Have you ever wanted to be more generous? Wish you could take more time off of work, spend more time with your family, maybe go on that missions trip? I think we all relate to that. But when you're in debt, this type of stuff becomes nearly impossible because it holds us back from opportunities. We're so focused on what we owe that we can't be focused on what we want to do. Uh, If you know who Dave Ramsey is, he's a current day Christian financial planner, talks a lot about um, how to manage your finances and and accumulate wealth from a biblical viewpoint. Now I'm gonna talk more about him later. But um, if you've ever taken any of his classes or read his books, he, he quotes, uh, he talks about this idea of the gazelle. And it comes out of Proverbs 6, verse 5. Um, it, it says this, I don't think this is on the screen, but it says, free, Proverbs 6, 5 says, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, okay? And then he says, the native hunter of a gazelle is a cheetah. If you think of the plains of Africa, just kind of get that picture in your head. If you've ever looked, you know, seen TV shows, National Geographic, whatever, plains of Africa, and, and you've got a cheetah stalking through the weeds, and, and you've got a gazelle over here grazing, and at some point in time, that cheetah jumps up. The gazelle sees it, and adrenaline shoots through the veins, courses through the veins of the gazelle, and it just takes off running, right? Cheetahs, I don't know, I'm making this up, but they probably go zero to 45 in like three seconds, right? They're a fast animal. So that gazelle's running for its life. And, and Dave Ramsey paints this picture and he says, when you see this, uh, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. How do you free yourself from the hunter? You run, run. That cheetah's run, get out of here. Run away from the cheetah, right? And he's saying that's what we should do from debt. When we see debt coming, run away like a cheetah from the hand of the hunter. But that poor cheetah, or that poor cheetah, that poor gazelle is stressed out and running for its life. And I don't know about you, maybe you're a good distance runner. For me, I go like half a block and I'm tired. Maybe you go 26 miles. But at some point in time, you can get tired of running, right? And that thing's going to start gaining ground on you. And again, here's the thing. I said it before, but when you're running from something, it's really hard to run towards something. That stresses you out and it holds you back from opportunities. I do a fair bit of uh, financial counseling. Maybe, you know, I think part of it's because of my role at the church. Um, I think a lot of it is because I have a background working in finance, so that's just stuff that I've done. But I end up talking to people a lot about finance. And one of the things that comes up over and over and over again when people are in debt is, should I tithe while I'm in debt? Or should I not 
and pay off my debt faster, right? Which makes sense. I've been in this situation. I'll share more about this story in a minute. But hey, if I stopped tithing, I could buy two new trucks right now. I could have money for a nicer house. I could do that remodel on my place that I want, right? Like tithing costs us something, a decent amount. And so, yeah, if you stop tithing, you could chunk down your debt faster. But here's the thing. What comes first? What comes first? And I'm just, I'm just going, I'm going with the Bible on this one. Bible says that all things, everything we have, everything that we are comes from God. It's not ours. We didn't earn it. It's not our hard work. It's a gift from him. And it says that our first fruits should go back to him in recognition of that, in honor of that, in worship of that, okay? Second, we are to render under Caesar what Caesar's. That means that the government has been placed in, a, in authority and we're to pay our taxes. And then the third is to pay off our debt in that order. That's the biblical order. First fruits to God, Caesar, tax man, Uncle Sam, and then debt. And you guys are going, geez, Garrett, this started off nice when you're making fun of yourself in the truck, but now it's getting kind of intense. <laughs> but here's the deal. I want, this is, this is where I'm going to kind of start to wrap up and then go into uh, my story and, ho- and more of the hopeful lift. This is what I really want you to hear. The Bible doesn't talk about money because God needs more money, right? He's not like trying to build a new subdivision in heaven. God made everything. He made money. He can make more money. He can make more whatever he wants. The deal is he doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He created you because he wants to be in relationship with you. That's the coolest thing ever. And so we hear these things and we can feel stressed out by them. Oh, now we're talking about money. Here's another thing that I'm stressed out about. Here's another. Man, loving God is hard. But we're missing it. He wants to free us up. And so why is it that we sometimes tend to look at these things like a set of religious checklist items? So when it comes to the idea of tithing, like this is just one of those things that I have to do, check it off the list. Or if I'm in debt, I begin to ask, what's the least amount I can do to get a passing grade? When it comes to worshiping God, I think going from the perspective of what's the least amount I can do, we're just coming at it from completely the the wrong direction. The approach should be, what can I give? What can I do? How much? How many, right? God is a God of abundance. And so I don't want us to get caught up in this idea of what's the bare minimum I gotta do and oh, I should tithe and I should go to church and I should and I should and I should. It's not about what you should or shouldn't do. It's about the state of your heart. Where are you getting your meaning from? Where are you getting your identity from? Where are you getting your livelihood from? What makes you happy? What makes you feel secure? This is why the Bible has so much to say about money, not because it wants you to give all your money to the church. It wants you to give all of your heart to the Father. Money holds us back. It stresses us out. It holds us back from opportunities. And my last point is this. It makes us a slave. Debt makes us a slave. Proverbs 22 says this it starts in i'm going to jump between two verses verse two says rich and poor have this in common the lord is the maker of them all okay we're even and he's the one he makes us all but then it goes into verse seven says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender we're in bondage 
to our debt. We are a slave to our debt. And again, this isn't a message about money. This is a message about our heart. This is a message about our soul. Where does our happiness come from? Where does our fulfillment come from? What areas in our life does God not completely and fully have? What are we holding back? Because we're in bondage. Slaves to sin, guilty under the law, we were. But then Jesus came to free us from our bondage, from our sin, from death. And here we are, spiritually free, but in our flesh, feeling bondage all the time. Matthew in his gospel, chapter 6, verse 24, says this. is a very famous section of scripture. You've probably heard it before. He says, no one, this is Jesus, sorry, Jesus speaking in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What this means is you're either going to be money's master or money is going to master you. There is no in-between. So you're either working for money or your money is working for you. You're either a slave to money or your money is a slave to you because this idea of slavery and bondage is about who's the master? Who's the master? Is our money our master? Because if it is, and if we're in debt, we are enslaved in bondage to the lender. Remember Proverbs said, the borrower is a slave to the lender. So why is it bad? The Bible says because it stresses you out. It holds you back from opportunities and experiencing the fullness of God and being a part of his kingdom and his plan. And it puts us back into slavery, which he came to deliver us from. Full, uh, what, full, what's the word? Disclosure. disclosure, thank you, yes, full disclosure. It's a little active participation here as you're falling asleep. I got a mortgage, okay? So I'm in debt. So I'm not here telling you, I mean, if you watch Dave Ramsey, you'll feel a little worse about yourself because he's debt-free and, and uh, he's gonna challenge you to get there as well. Dude, I love to be debt-free and own my house free and clear, but I currently have a mortgage. I used to be in mortgage lending. Do you know what the word mortgage means, where it comes from? Anyone? It's an old French legal term that literally means death pledge. Yeah. Brutal. So I quit that job and got into ministry. Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, that's actually true, but not for such spiritual reasons. Uh, death pledge. So mort mortality, mortal, right? That's where we get that word. Engage is pledge, mortgage, death, pledge. Lean into this. This is deeply spiritual if you think about this for a second. Why did Jesus come here from heaven to earth? Why did he come here? It's simple. The gospel is, the good news is this. He came to pay our death pledge. We were in debt. We were enslaved. We were in, in bondage to the law and under, we were under sin and death and we were about to be repossessed. Our lives were gonna be repossessed. That's what happens when you don't pay your mortgage. Your house gets repossessed. It gets taken away from you. Our lives were not gonna be our own. 
But Jesus came and paid that death pledge. There was something owed, and he paid so that we could be free and experience freedom in our lives. This isn't about money. It's not about debt per se. It's about being in bondage and about being in slavery and what is our heart attached to that, that, that ties us up. Okay, so that can, be, that can feel heavy. There's good principles there, right? This idea of being stressed out, held back from opportunities and slave. Those are the big overarching principles of why God's saying stay away, run like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, run from it. I wanna close though and just share a personal story with you. So I was in mortgage banking. I had started my own business. Things were going very well. Um, but long story short, Tawny and I felt like I was being called away from the marketplace and into ministry. So this is a little over 12 years ago. And again, long story short, I ended up coming to work for the church. And I kid you not, I took uh, somewhere between a 65 and 67% pay cut from what I was making in the marketplace to what I started off making at the church. So if you're not into percentages and math, just let's use real easy numbers, okay? These aren't my numbers, but they'll, they'll be easy for you. So let's say I made $100,000 and I took a 60% pay cut. That would mean I went from making 100 to $40,000. Okay, that's significant, right? Would you say that's significant? If you suddenly lost $60,000 off the top of your income? So I lost more. It was 67%, not 60%. But, but just so you know, it was significant. Tawny and I had bought a beautiful new home up in Mill Creek. Now we had new cars. We had a great lifestyle going. Uh, we weren't able to slow down the train of lifestyle as fast as the stream of money into our bank account, Okay. The money slowed down way faster than we could slow our lifestyle down. We ended up a little over $30,000 in debt, all on credit cards and revolving uh, credit. Couldn't always afford to pay the mortgage on this nice new house we had. I had to pay that using uh, credit cards a couple times. Uh, and so we, 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 had to, we had to figure this out, right? Like I never thought ever in my life I would be in debt, let alone 30K in debt. And so we started cutting, 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 cut, you know, get rid of Spotify, all our streaming services, cable, anything and everything we could cut, cell phones just out the door. Uh, it was in 2007, 2008, and the real estate market had dropped. We had put a lot of money down on our house and had a great equity position. Problem was the market dropped and our, we lost 40% in the value of our home. So even though we had put a bunch of money down, we were actually now upside down and had no equity in our home, so I couldn't sell it. Thank you to my smart wife, because I was just going to walk away. I was like, screw this. We're, we're leaving. I'm going to foreclose on it. But Tani said, no, let's see if we could rent it out. Thankfully, we were able to rent the house out, and the, the rent that was paid met um, our monthly mortgage payment, so it broke even. And we rent, went and rented this little house in Kirkland, and uh, let's just say it wasn't lovely. It was, it was a teardown, literally a teardown. The people had bought this house and this property because they were going to tear it down and build their dream home. But while they were waiting uh, to get permits from the city, they were going to rent it out just so they weren't out cash every month. So we lived in this house for a year until they got their permits. Then we had to move out, and they scraped it and put a new house down. We went and lived in a new house. And, and, and this is what we did for a few years, move around from rental to rental to rental. Here's what I want you to hear in all this. It was stressful, and it certainly held us back from opportunities. There were so many things that we wanted to do that we didn't do. 
but I am, uh, I'm not, well, maybe I'm proud of ourselves. I don't know if that's always such a bad thing. We didn't stop tithing. We always stayed faithful in that, and we never lost faith that God was gonna get us out of this jam. My Excel spreadsheet, I'm a budget nerd. Uh, if you come visit me in my office, you'll probably be bored to tears to see how much I geek out on making budgets. But my budget showed that based on my current income and our current expenses, we were in the hole hundreds of dollars every month. We were not gonna break even. And so it was hard. Like, how could I tithe on that? You know, like, I'm broke. I'm going backwards every month. How could God lead me into ministry if that's the case? But I believed with all of my heart that if I was giving all of my heart to God, if I was giving my finances to God, if I was doing everything I could in, in conventional wisdom to shore up my expenses and my accounts and meeting with uh, people who mentored me and encouraged me on this, I just believe somehow this is gonna work out. Over the course of three years, we paid off that $30,000 debt. How do we do that? I don't know, honestly. My budget said that we were gonna go in the hole every month. Not only did we not go in the hole, and I, I, you can, if you see Tanya, you can ask her. We never figured it out. How is this working? I don't get it. Like numbers are numbers. But dude, God's God. He doesn't work in our economy. Okay? Now, I hope you hear my heart. I'm not telling you to go out and do stupid stuff. I'm just telling you God is good. Okay? God is good. Don't be stupid. You don't be stupid. Okay? I'm serious. Like, get a budget. I got, I don't know, you got those slides back there, Austin. I'll, I'll walk through a few of these. Um, go buy Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. Read it word for word, page for page. Don't skip the system. Don't speed read. Don't think, oh, I'm smart and I got it. Work the freaking system. It's going to drive you nuts. It's going to drive you nuts. It drove me nuts, but it worked. Uh, Dave Ramsey has a class. Go online, Google it, Financial Peace University. Uh, it's a lot of the concepts in his book, but it's in a group format, and you have other people helping you out. You got workbooks. It's like, take a picture of these things. Write this down. Google this. I'm serious. If, you, if, if money is a thing, if you're in debt anywhere, car loans, house loans, I'm telling you, man, God has a better plan for you. Um, the third thing is there's a ton of budget apps. The one I like and I, that Tony and I use right now is called Every Dollar. It's a free download. Um, if you want to link your bank accounts and that kind of stuff, then you have to pay like two bucks a month or something. I don't do that. I just use the free version. And literally every time I go to taco time, I get out my phone and I type in $6.70 for Mexi fries. You know, like <laughs> I truly do. Even at this stage, we're not in debt anymore outside of our mortgage. But we track it all the time. Because I want to be found in a place where God can trust me to bless me. Who better than us? Who better than the Christian church for God to be able to pour out his blessings and us to be able to be in a place where we can use it to impact the kingdom, bless people, give away with no expectation of having it returned to us? Who better to do that than us? And I really believe that that's the life that he has for us. But we gotta take ownership of our own decisions. We want this life, and so we go and pursue it, but all of a sudden it's in contrast with the life we really want, which is a life of freedom, which is a life of God's blessing, which is a life of generosity, right? You with me? God is so good. And I don't know how it's gonna work out for you if you find yourself uh, in a place of debt right now. I don't know how it's gonna work out for you, but I know that God is good, and his promises never return void. 
And when you give him your heart, and with all of your might, you do the things you need to do to get out from under the bondage of debt, from being enslaved by debt, his blessing is gonna flow. I mean, again, I don't know what, what it's gonna be for you. For me, there's one year. It happened one time, hadn't happened before, hasn't happened again, but there was one year my grandmother at Christmas decided to give each of us grandkids $10,000. Crazy, right? Who does that happen to? Maybe you, maybe you're a trust fund kid. Bless you, bless you. I am not. My grandparents were pastors just like me. They're broke. I don't know where she got the 10 grand. But she gave us each $10,000. You know what really sucked about that? Tawny and I got it and we looked at each other and we knew where it was going. Ah, man, we could do something to our house. We could go on, we could go to Disneyland, right? All these thoughts go through our mind. No, we can't. But because we stopped that thought and we took that gift, we took that blessing and we were obedient with it, we chunked down, and in one day, one-third of our debt was wiped away. In three years, it was all gone, and we've never turned back since. That's not about us. That's the glory of God. He is so good. You might think this is crazy, but in money, in finances, in debt, so if anything that gets to our heart, God wants our heart, and if we give it to him, he'll remove the rest of the stuff. All right, I hope that's hopeful to you. Um, yeah, I hope, that, <laughs> I hope that's encouraging. I told you, man, I'm kind of like making this up as I go because this isn't how I wrote my message. But um, I, I, as Tawny and I walked through that, it was, it was one of the biggest faith boosters of our life. We look back on that all the time and shake our head. How did, how did that happen, right? The spreadsheet's the spreadsheet. I don't know. So again, third time's a charm. I don't know how it's gonna happen in your life, but I know God's good and I know his promises don't return void. So I encourage you. Do the work to create the margin. Jake said uh, when I was doing this talk, he's like, so that's the problem and the antidote is margin. So Garrett, however you figure out how to communicate that message. So I hope I just communicated that. As you do this work, as you begin to be diligent in what you spend, as you create a budget, as you give God your heart and create some margin, you're gonna be the answer to other people's prayers. You're not gonna have to pray so much about yourself and God, get me out of this jam. You're gonna say, God, who's in a jam that I can help get out? I don't need it back. I don't need it back. You're so good, you give it all to me. Let me just give it away freely. Let me give it away. I know, I don't even have to ask, I know we all want to be that type of person. All right, let's pray.